Welcome to Minnesota Minds, Cultivating Creativity. I'm Rachel Lauer. And I'm Alicia Tyson. We're your hosts, two Minnesotans with backgrounds in journalism and a passion for all things creative. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of Minnesota's coolest interdisciplinary artists who tell inspiring stories of their creative processes, wins, defeats, and discoveries. From butter sculptors to book art specialists, ceramicists to sommeliers, pastry chefs to painters, Minnesota Minds explores a wide range of creative endeavors and digs into why the highs and lows of artistic expression play such a key role in our joy and survival. Rachel, you just got back from what looked like a super fun trip to Nashville. Tell me all about it. Yeah, it was a great time. I went with my husband. It was his college roommate's wedding. We went down to Nashville for that. It was our first time there. And yeah, we had such a great time. We checked out sort of the the main drag, uh, Broadway, the bar street all the honky-tonk bars which I didn't know what those were when (laughs) when I first got there so it's just these these bars that have live music on every level of these tall buildings yeah it's just such an amazing like creative city just so much art and music also along that stretch there's a lot of cowboy boot and cowboy hat shops so fun to look at just the the artistry of the cowboy boots was really inspiring um, there were some that were, you know, more, <laughs> you're more traditional, like black, white, brown. There were also some that were just so many colors and had cacti and cowboy hats stitched into them and coyotes and these incredible like Native American traditional prints. It was such an amazing variety. So yeah, it was just really, I think like in terms of, of visual arts, really uh, creatively inspiring we also spent some time at the Johnny Cash Museum, which was, oh. it was so cool. I grew up listening to him and yeah, so to to dive into the history and walk through this museum that had some of his things that he wore on stage, learning about every like record company or record label he worked under he was in the military, just learning so many facets to his life and also learning that he was a visual artist, which I didn't know. Oh, Um, I didn't either. Yeah, he, I mean, he didn't do a ton as far as I know, but there were some drawings that he had done at the museum. He had also done some like leather work. He designed some of his costumes that he'd wear on stage. So yeah, it it was just fascinating to know what a sort of like well-rounded creative he was and yeah, just what a great place to to find all this creative inspiration. Mm-hmm. And you'd never been before, right, to Nashville? Right, right. Yeah. And I really didn't know what to expect. I mean, I grew up listening to, like I said, Johnny Cash. I listened to country growing up. Really haven't that much in the last 10 to 20 years. But it's, I think, being in that space where everyone's so excited about it, it just like brought it back for me where right? yeah. like, I I see the appeal now and there, I mean of <laughs> course, there's so much more to Nashville than just country music but yeah especially being sort of on on Broadway that is a, a big part of it that's awesome we went a few years ago 
pre-COVID times and we were there for a very short time. So we didn't get to do a lot, but we did go to the main Broadway and popped into a few bars, restaurants, whatever that were where music musicians are performing. And that's the thing, wherever you go, there's awesome performers. I don't know that they're recognizable names necessarily because they're all trying to get their start, but they're all really, really good because they know that's where you can get discovered. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Even like the hotel we stayed at in the lobby, there was always someone down there with a guitar, you know, you and at the airport, there were like airport restaurants, there are musicians in there playing in the Nashville airport. So just yeah, it's it's so cool to see artists really like thriving in so many spaces there. Mm hmm. We went to a place I can't remember what it was called, but it was a record store on the main level and then the basement was like an underground music venue and the tickets were like 10 bucks or something and there were three or four different performers and some of them were singer songwriters just like acoustic with their guitar and some were like an eight-piece band with you know strings and trumpets and it was amazing that was so fun I would definitely go back there yeah yeah it's a amazing city Today, our guest is Jerry Kulzer, who owns Kulzer Design Studios, and he is a monumental and decorative sculptor and also the new butter sculptor at the Minnesota State Fair, as well as an art teacher. So we are super excited to talk to him about all these different hats that he wears and his creative inspiration. So thank you for joining us, Jerry. You're welcome. I'm honored. We're going to start off with a couple little just quick Get to know you questions, some icebreakers. So the first one I wanted to know, since we're going to be talking about the state fair, state fair season's coming up. This is always a very controversial topic. What's the best food at the state fair? <laughs> the best food is anything dairy. Yeah, I, I enjoy cheese curds. Cheese curds are awesome. Um, come down to the Dairy Goodness Bar in the Dairy Building and get them all or, a, a, you know, anything, anything from the Dairy Goodness Bar is fabulous. I would agree. Yeah. I think you can't go wrong with cheese or with a good malt. What do you think, Rachel? What's your favorite? Cheese curds, for sure. I was born in Wisconsin, so technically a cheese head. <laughs> cheese always. <laughs> yeah. It just feels right. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. And Rachel, do you have an icebreaker question for Jerry? Yeah, we want to hear about someone or something who delights you on a regular basis. Uh, this, that's that's easy. Um, my wife, uh, today she did all the folding. She folded all the laundry. I didn't have to touch a thing. You know, just you know, wonderful. Just uh, And she's always doing things like that, just helping out and, and making me happy. And then, you know, my kids too. I, I have five kids and, um, and you know, my oldest boy, he's working at a, a tractor manufacturing place as an engineer, just making me proud. Um, and each one of my kids, there's, it'll take too long to list all the things that uh, that I enjoy about them. But, though, you know, my family, I think just the, the whole family just makes me so happy. And you grew up on a dairy farm, I read. Is that right? I grew up on a farm. It wasn't a dairy farm. farm. But I, okay. I did grow up on a farm. Uh, we did grain farming, wheat uh, mostly, 
And then uh, my my uncle lived down the road. He was the dairy farmer. And we would always go up there. We'd get all our milk from from him. So I grew up with whole milk from, from directly from the cow. And how did you get started in sculpting? Well, I was always artistic. Instead of coloring and coloring books, I would draw. And so that was the start of, of everything, just drawing. But when I got to college, I took my first ceramics class. My first clay class just drew me in. And I just love the tactile, the feel of it. You can see I talk with my hands sometimes too. And, and it, that's all part of it. You know, just the, the feel of that clay. Uh, the professor kind of took me under his wing and saw what I was doing and liked what I was doing. And that just snowballed. I mean, I, I just loved the clay and I kept working with it and kept, well, improving my skills. Do you remember what some of those early drawings or, or uh, clay works were? You know, what, what inspired them, what your subjects were? Yeah, the, in, in ceramics class, one of the things that he had us do is look back in history, look at other artists that, that did clay work. And I, I found this sculptor called Richard Notkin. Richard Notkin makes tiny sculptures that are very, very detailed, um, skulls and, and just all kinds of things, making little skulls into teapots and things like that. And I thought that was fascinating. So one of my first sculptures was I, I looked at a, a ram's head and I duplicated the curly horns and the, the skull of that, of that ram's head. And I, I thought, you know, this, this has possibilities. And from there, you know, other things, anything that I could find good resources as far as good photographs or reference to work from. And then over time, you worked into monumental and decorative sculpture. Can you explain a little bit about those two and what they yeah. entail? In in school, you're always you're just doing things as assignments and trying to instill a sense of life or a, a, a meaning into these these artworks. And um, after I got out of school, I started teaching and I had access to as much clay as I wanted. So I would play around with the clay and, and just keep making things. And I found that uh, people liked what I made. And so I would make different sculptures. Um, I, for a while, I dabbled in pottery. I thought I'd be a potter. I decided making pots all day wasn't what I wanted to do. So I kept going with the sculptural side of things. And now I, I always called myself a professional teacher, but a few years ago, I broke into the professional sculptor realm. And the way I, I explain that is I made most of my income teaching. And then uh, a few years ago, I started making most of my income as a sculptor. So um, it, was, it was kind of a neat transition to be able to say, okay, I'm a professional sculptor now. But, um, but as far as decorative or monumental, I... Most of my work is decorative, things that people want. You can see in the background, I have portraits of three of my kids. There's actually five of them there. You can't see all of them. But I, I did that when I was when when they were young, and I was young too. <laughs> and so those those are the baby portraits. They're seven and a half weeks old. And it's it's so fun to have those things around. When you have kids, I don't know if you have kids, but when you have kids, you see them grow and change, and they change so fast. And so to, to look at a picture of, of your child when they're seven and a half weeks is one thing. And it, it's nostalgic and it's, it's beautiful. But to be able to pick up that little head and hold that head in your arms like you did when they were a baby and just realize 
how tiny they were, or, you know, it's, it's a totally different experience. And so decorative sculpture for me includes portraits, but also other, you know, things like candle holders. Um, people want a statue of, of something or someone. When, when we're working in monumental um, sculpture, like uh, I, I was part of a team that made 10 foot tall statues for Fort Hood, Texas. And, uh, and when you're doing something like that, a monumental sculpture is, is not just a single person doing it. You've got the people who are, who are making a mold of that sculpture. You've got people who are um, casting it in bronze and then welding those pieces together. So one of the challenges in monumental sculpture is the engineering to make sure that it holds its weight when it's larger than life, but also the, um, the teamwork because we have to make sure that we're we're doing something that will make the molder's job easy and then ultimately the welder's job easy. So there are some things that you aren't allowed to do because it'd be impossible to weld together or impossible to get a good mold off of it. Yeah, so, that sounds like a whole different thing, uh, the monumental work. Like, like how well, does that process start and, and what is your role in that typically? For the Fort Hood, Texas project what um the my boss asked me to sculpt six inch figures so i sculpted all all five figures six inches high and then he presented that to their client and said this is what it's going to look like and the client liked that okayed it and from there i made 12 inch high figures and we made an armature out of those basically measuring the the sculptures and it was a foam armature so a, a cnc machine took the the foam and and made a real a mannequin like thing that we covered with clay. And so after the the foam is set up, it's so much lighter than the old fashioned way of chicken wire and pipes. <laughs> so so the foam was really a, a a breakthrough. This was the first time that we've really used foam for for that process oh. for the armature. Then we layer clay on there and get the details carved into the clay, the folds, the wrinkles of the clothing, the details of the face. Um and from there, you know, mold makers make molds from that. It's cast in wax, and then it's cast in bronze, welded together, transported to Texas, and installed with cranes because 10-foot sculptures are pretty heavy. Wow. How long of a process is that? Oh, I think we were working on it for sure two years, maybe three years before it was actually installed. Hmm. Because it, was a, it wasn't just one person it was a, a veteran shaking hands with a soldier and then the soldier's family of a wife and two kids it was it was quite extensive what would you say are some of the challenges of of making these monumental and decorative sculptures well one of the things as a painter a painter can look at a, a photograph of a person and paint what they see a sculptor you're dealing with three-dimensionality and you have to get it right from all angles. You might have it looking pretty good from the front, but then you turn it to the side and, oh, it's not right anymore. You know, the, the profile is completely off. So one of the challenges is getting a full three-dimensional look that, that works from all the views that you're going to see it from. So that's, that's one thing. Um, structure is also another thing. Painting, you make a canvas, you paint on the canvas, it's good to go. With sculpture, you need to structure it in such a way that it'll hold itself up. And when you're dealing with wet clay, 
the clay has to have a certain firmness before it holds itself. And so you're, you're kind of working with that as well. The rewards are kind of along the same lines. I mean, you're engineering these sculptures to stand and to see that they are standing and they're, they're solid now. But the biggest reward is, well, two biggest rewards, the finished product, seeing the progress from the beginning to the end and seeing that finished product sitting there and doing what it's supposed to do, remind you of that person or bring joy to you in some way. And then, the, the, like I said, the biggest, the biggest joy, the biggest reward is a client who is so enthusiastic about, about the finished product. And that, that just brings joy to my heart. <laughs> so if I can make people happy, I'm a happy camper too. When, when you've like fully captured that person so well in that art form that they feel that connection to it, that it really represents that loved one. Right. Right. Yes. And where do you get your inspiration from? Oh, every, everywhere. I am such a people watcher. I love doing portraits of people. Some artists work in series. I think my series is people, uh, faces. Uh, I, I get inspiration from everything I see. I, I look at it, the, the rough tree bark. I, it's, it's beautiful. And and, you know, the faces that I see, the, the longer noses, the short nose, I always tease my wife. I, I love, I don't tease her. I say I love her because she has such a cute little nose, among other things. So that that's my go-to. I always, you know, I love you because of this and your cute little nose. So, um, so the things I see are inspiring. Tell us a little bit about your, about teaching. You said you have been a teacher for some time. How long have you been teaching and how did that all come to be? I've been teaching for 30 years. Originally, I thought because I like drawing so much, I would be a, a graphic designer. The uh, The school I wanted to go to had a two-year waiting list. And I said, I can't wait around two years. So I went into I went to UMD, University of Minnesota Duluth, and got into teaching um, because it, it would allow me to touch people as well as make artwork. And that has been such a, a rewarding job such a rewarding career to to be able to show people how to make art or how to how to improve their skills and um and then you know students come back and say mr Culzer, you you look what i'm doing you know you you helped me do this you helped me achieve that and and i just it's it's heartwarming there's a strong thread of the human connection through your art, whether it's as a teacher or a creator of the art for clients. True. Very true. Yeah. You're, I, I, I like making people happy and I like bringing joy to people's lives. If I can through my art, great. If I can through my classroom, great too. Well, do we want to uh, talk a little bit about the state fair and <laughs> get into how how you started with butter sculpting, what that process was like, and the apprenticeship that you had under the the previous butter sculptor. So um, years and years ago, before the internet, that's how old I am, <laughs> before the internet, the only place to see a sculptor work was to knock on his door and say, hey, can I watch you? And how many sculptors would invite some stranger in and say, yeah, come on in and, and just watch what I do. But at the state fair every year, you could go to the state fair and see Linda Christensen carving a block of butter into this likeness of a person. And so I'd watch that and I thought, wow, that's it's fascinating. So it was a, a way of learning for me 
but also it kind of was like, you know, this would be a, a fun thing because as a teacher, I'm demonstrating in the classroom all the time. And that's one of the, the best things. That's one of the things I enjoy most about teaching is demonstrating. And, um, and that, that's what Linda was doing at the fair, demonstrating her craft. So I contacted Midwest Dairy years ago and said, if you are ever are looking for a replacement for Linda when she retires, let me know. Um, years later, they contacted me, said, you still interested? I said, yes. They called me down there. So the day before the fair, they gave me a 90-pound block of butter as an audition and said, okay, here, here's the person we want you to sculpt. Try your hand at this. And I was I was stuck in a very cold room, not really prepared for the coldness. They they liked what I did enough to call me back the next year to work with Linda. And that's that's where we were working in that same cooler behind the scenes. She showed me how she did her her version of an eye. And then I would do the other side of the mouth or the other side of the eye. When it was done, it's unusual. Normally normally you have your own style and and Artists work differently, but when it was done, it was a coherent sculpture. It looked like the person that we were shooting for. It was really amazing. We worked well, so well, so well together. And I think that uh, that must have been the, the deciding factor. Um, they called me back and said, yeah, you, you've got the job. And so come in next year. You'll, 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 Linda will do Princess K of the Milky Way. She'll sculpt Princess K and then you will sculpt the, some of the other candidates and you'll go back and forth but then COVID happened that kind of threw a wrench into, into the plans and um and so they called me in to do the entire sculpting with Linda as as a zoom participant like we're doing here she she showed me some things said some things you know as I was working and so it was it was a nice way of kind of extending the apprenticeship in a way because she was looking right over the shoulder and saying what to do but I I was responsible for doing all 10 sculptures. It was like, wow, you know, a, a great way to get used to the workload that you have to do at the state fair. And that um, is quite a workload. Like how many hours are we talking here per, per sculpture? Well, the, the sculptures take between six and eight hours um, at the fair. And, and that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, when I when I work on a portrait for a client, I want at least two weeks, you know, and, and it's not two weeks of solid work, but it's two weeks of you work for, for hours and then you step back away from it. And then you come back with a fresh eye and see the things that you want to change. And so um, so to do it one sculpture a day, to do it in six hours is just crazy. <laughs> and then <laughs> add to that, sitting in a cold butter booth 40 oh degrees gosh. and your hands get cold and stiff so yeah it, it's fun though it's so fun how do you stay warm in there uh, layers I've, I've got layers i've got three layers uh on my upper body three layers well, two or three in the, the lower body i've got two layers of gloves on i would like to layer up more on my fingers because they get so cold so fast but if you get it too thick, you, you don't have the dexterity that you need to carve all the details. We take breaks too. So, you know, it's not, it's not eight hours solid, you know, we'll, we'll sit in there for two hours and then take a little warm up break another hour and a half or whatever the, the schedule is. And you can't even put those little, um, I can't remember what they're called, but those 
thermal things you can stick in your gloves, I suppose, because that would melt the butter. You know, too fast. I tried that and and it works. It's nice because it kind of keeps your hands warm to a certain extent. And that melting factor is nice if you can get it to work to kind of smooth things over. But those hand warmers require some airflow and the gloves I have have a rubber coating. And so not enough air comes through. So they, they work for about five minutes and then they're <laughs> like nothing. So I don't even use right. them. <laughs> so aside from the challenges of working in the cold, um, what are some of the differences between working with butter versus working with clay? You know, if you warm up butter to about 50, 55 degrees, it's just like clay. It's exactly the same as a water-based clay where you can take it, you can mold it, you can squish it, you can press it back on. But um, I'm working in a butter booth at 40 degrees to keep it food safe because the princesses take the butter scraps home. They can use use them for whatever they want. And then ultimately, eventually, they get to take their heads home at the end of the fair too. So we want to keep it food safe. It's really fun to work with butter because it's a, a slightly different medium than clay. Um, it's a little firmer in the butter booth. And you can feel that when you take a, a, a chunk of butter out of the fridge and you, you slice into it, you, you take some pressure to cut that stick of butter. And so now imagine that 90 pounds of butter and you're cutting through that. So the challenge is cold. But uh, but it's it's so rewarding to see that image come out eventually, you know, just keep carving little pieces away. And eventually there's there's the nose and I see the cheeks and, you know, the smile. So when you first um, jumping back a little, when you first did that sort of test run with with the 90 pound block of butter, had you practiced it at home or how, how were you able to sort of learn how to do that for the first time? I did stack about what was six pounds of butter together and tried to do a portrait of my daughter. That went fair. It was okay. But six pounds is nothing like 90 pounds. You're, you're working at an over-life size portrait at 90 pounds. So that I didn't do a lot of practicing. But working in clay, like I said, is pretty much like working in butter. So the, the clay experience I had had previously really lent itself to the butter sculpting. Do you use Old Faithful, the knife that Linda used? She passed yes. the baton on to you? Yes, I do. Every time. She she was amazing. She would use that for 90% of the carving. And mm-hmm. to, to me, it's such a long knife. It's a little unwieldy. So I use it every time to block out the sculpture. So if you could see what I'm doing from 9 o'clock till noon, yeah, probably 90% of what I do in that time frame is done with Old Faithful. And I'm so happy she gave it to me. That was that was one of the things she told me when during the apprenticeship those years. She said, get yourself a good, sturdy butcher knife. And so I did. I, I got one. I, I found one in our, our drawer that was going to work okay. But I'm so happy that I have Linda's because it's such a legacy. That was really cool. Do you what, what other kind of tools do you use when you're working with the butter as a medium? It's the same as clay. I, I have a, a wire uh, with the two wooden handles that I slice away big chunks of butter with, just like I cut through a bag of clay. Wood knives. I have a, it's actually a leather working tool that kind of has a beveled edge that I use for eyes and some of the small details. 
but all the tools that I use, I use exclusively for butter. And I, I clean them, sanitize them when I'm done. Those are, are sealed up until I have another butter commission. Why salted butter? Does it matter? Linda, Linda said she's been doing it for 50 years. She knows her things. Uh, she said that salted butter, if it's not salted, it sticks to the knife. Oh. And when it's salted, it comes off of the knife better. Nice. So I've only worked with salted butter, so I, I'm, I'm trusting her on that. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just going to ask a little bit more about what what all you learned from her in terms of you know maybe as an artist and as a teacher learning from Linda. She taught me. She was invaluable. Uh, one one of the things that, and I know this from be, from before I met her, but she said, make sure when you're working work the entire sculpture. Don't just work on one small detail for time. You're going to fixate on that detail. So keep working around the sculpture, work, work on the cheek for a while, work on, you know, the hair for a while, work all over. And, uh, and that's really valuable. And I tell my students the same when they're working. I, and then just little tips and tricks too. tips and tricks, like uh, your hands are getting cold. So go outside in the, the warm 90 degree summer heat that helps. But if you put your hands on a car, like the windshield of a car, you'll leave handprints, but, but uh, you'll, your hands will warm. It's just like a heating pad. So oh, wow. I use that all the time. Yeah. yeah. I bet you want to just go sit in a nice warm car after being in the booth for a few hours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, it does get chilly. And we're from Minnesota. We can handle 40 degrees. It's nothing. But when you're sitting in there for an extended period of time, that's when it gets a little, a little chilly. At the end of the day, you know, the, the first two hours, yeah, at the end of the two hours, I'm, I'm kind of cold. But by the time five o'clock rolls around, I'm in there for, if I jump in for a half an hour, I feel it already just in a half an hour. So mm -hmm. it kind of sinks in and gets inside you. Mm-hmm especially the fingers. Oh gosh. Yeah. Do you have to do some stretches and like warm ups for your hands before you get started? No. Um, because I continually work in clay. Uh, I think I don't need to. Yeah. When I come out of the booth, I'm flexing my hands. Yes. To kind of keep them, get the blood flowing again and warm them up. So as the state fair is coming up in just a few weeks here, is there anything that you're doing to to prepare for the weeks ahead? <laughs> yes, I I love just taking a block of clay and carving it because with clay it's it's additive and subtractive. You're carving away and you're adding to it. But in the butter booth, because it's at 40 degrees, butter doesn't stick to itself as nicely as clay at that temperature. So I really try to just carve away what I need. So that's difficult. It's it's hard to not add something to it. You might carve the nose a little too short and you need to add something to it. And I can, but it's not the same as clay. So I, I practice just taking a block and carving and getting a likeness. And this year I've been practicing, you know, all the butter sculptures have been just kind of like I'm looking at you straight. What I really want to do, I want to imbue them with a sense of life. I want to just give them more life. So a turn of the head, you know, hmm. just to to make it more lifelike, something a little different. And I've been practicing that. I, I'm not sure if I can do it yet this year, but someday. That's really fun. Coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs>
that's one of the things I tell my students too. You, the the more you do, the better you get. If you like gaming, the the better, the more you play that game, you're going to get better at it. You're going to get a higher score. Same with any physical skill. You want to be a basketball player, shoot hoops. You know, play basketball. The more you play, the better you get. The, the more you sculpt, the better you get. So, so I just keep practicing to improve my skills. Kind of practice what I preach. Very nice. And what are the hours that people can find you at the fair? At the fair, um, we I start sculpting at nine o'clock and hopefully I'm finished about five o'clock. So anywhere in there, we take breaks periodically. So, you know, lunch break and um, 10 o'clock break. So nice. And it's the dairy barn. The not the it's the dairy building. Dairy building. The, there are barns and things for the animals further down the street. Say one one thing I got to mention too. Um, this was all about me, but the butter sculpting at the fair is all about dairy farmers and the work that they do to produce butter and ice cream and all those yummy things like that. Um, so I I appreciate the attention you're giving me, but when we talk about the the state fair job, that's I I wouldn't have the job if it weren't for the milk producers, the dairy farmers that are, that are out there working, you know, seven days a week um, producing these things. Yeah. That's a, it's a hard life. My husband grew up on a dairy farm and it's, it's tough work. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You you don't get a vacation unless you have somebody to take care of milking the cows. And Mm -hmm. so I, I just have the utmost respect for, for dairy farmers. Um, because of the constant work, but also there's, there's a lot of, a lot of challenges that they have to deal with and they do it and they're successful. It's amazing. Absolutely. There's a a butter manufacturer called AMPI. They donate all the blocks of butter to the state fair. So 90 pounds of butter, imagine buying 90 pounds of butter at $3, $4 a pound. You know, they're, they're making this and donating it for use at the fair which is just amazing. I don't, I don't think AMPI gets enough credit for that donation that they mm-hmm. do every single year. And to pr- produce a 90 pound block, that's a large block and then to ship it down. And it's, a, it's not easy for them. They, they need a pat on the back <laughs> and say, thank you for all the work that they do for the fair. It's such a special thing because you, you talk to anybody from Minnesota that's been to the fair. Everyone knows about this tradition, maybe outside of Minnesota, right. not so much, but as soon as they hear about it, it's just okay. delightful and charming. And I think everyone that hears about it ends up having to go check it out because it's so cool to, to witness. Like we're watching live sculpting. Where else Where else right. can you see that really? Right. Yeah, that's true. And And to be able to see a complete, you know, from the beginning, a block turn into something and be finished in a day is pretty amazing. It's, it's, it really is. Thank you so much for, for joining Thank us. You. Yeah. It's just been super fun. And stay warm in there. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll work on it as, as good <laughs> as I can. <laughs> Take care, Thank Jerry. We talked to Jerry before the fair started, but by the time this episode is posted, the fair will have begun. It runs from Thursday, August 24th to Labor Day, Monday, September 4th. For more details, visit mnstatefair.org. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Minnesota Minds Cultivating Creativity, please leave us a review, subscribe, or share with a friend.